I have the privilege and honor of uh, introducing you to Pastor Jake Kale. He comes to us from Threshold. He has been here before to minister. He's also ministered in our LTS Bible School. So, Pastor Jake, come on up. Let's thank God for the gift in Pastor Jake. All right. Good evening, everybody. It's great to be back here at Church of the Word. I feel like this is family to me, and I don't feel like it is. It is, it is family to me, um, and I uh, just love, love Karen and Kelly, and I know Pastor Sid is not here today, but I uh, just appreciate him and connecting with him as well, so uh, it is great to, great to be here again. I think I was here last summer, maybe. I'm trying to remember June, maybe, or something like that last year, so anyways, always an honor to be asked to come and uh, preach the Word, especially once you've been there once, if they ask you again, that's like... Okay, all right, then it's like, okay, um, <clears throat> when you get asked back the second time, that's, uh, so um, I just want to make a quick mention of something too, uh, at Threshold Church, we, we meet on Sunday nights, uh, and we're starting something tomorrow night, every third Sunday, regional revival service, we're actually opening up to the region, and uh, just on like a revival night, so anyone's welcome to come, just wanted to put that out there, um, we meet at five o'clock on Sunday nights, but yeah, third Sundays of the month, we're doing something kind of different and special. So I want to mention that. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive into Scripture. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 14. So if you have a Bible, you can be, uh, begin to turn there. But let's ask the Holy Spirit to really maximize this time and just lead this time. <clears throat> let's pray together. In fact, let's just, can we stand to our feet for a minute and just engage in a couple minutes of prayer before we really jump into the, into the Word? Let's just begin to pray. Let's just begin to ask the Holy Spirit. In fact, I just want to invite you to join me in praying. You can pray out loud. Father, I ask right now in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that you would illuminate your word tonight, God. Jesus, I ask that you would walk among us, that you would speak to us. God, I pray that tonight's message would be a living word, God, a living word. I thank you that your word, God, is alive. Your word is active. Your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. So I pray that your word, God, would go forth with authority, God, with anointing. I pray, God, for the power of the Holy Spirit to fall upon us. God, even as I'm speaking and preaching, would your spirit fall upon us, God. God, I ask that you would awaken us tonight, God, that you would awaken us in any places that we need to be awakened, God. Father, I pray that you would soften hearts tonight. God, I pray that you would draw us to a fresh love for Jesus tonight, God. First love, God. First love, God. Any ways that we've gone complacent, God, you would bring us out of that complacency, God. You would awaken us out of that place, God, to a deeper place of devotion. Holy Spirit, would you come in this place? Would you move through this time? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus honor you, God. We worship you. Just begin to worship Jesus tonight. Begin to honor him. We honor you, Jesus. We give you praise tonight, Jesus. We say, we say this is for you, Lord Jesus. For you, Jesus. You're worthy, Jesus. You're worthy. You're worthy. God, would you reveal just how worthy your son Jesus is? Would you reveal to us tonight, God, the beauty of Jesus, the worth of Jesus? God, I ask for your Holy Spirit to awaken us tonight to the reality, God, of eternity, God. The reality of your kingdom and the reality of eternal things tonight, God. Thank you, Jesus. 
God, I ask you to release, God, just a fresh spirit of prayer in our midst tonight, God. God, the, the intercession of the Holy Spirit would come forth through this time, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just wait on the Lord for a minute or two. Let's just wait in His presence. Thank you, God. We just wait upon you, Jesus. We quiet our hearts, our minds. We yield ourselves to you. Wait upon you, God. Would you manifest your presence? Would you reveal your glory tonight? It's you that we want, Jesus. It's you that we want to see. It's you that we want to encounter tonight. Jesus, reveal yourself, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, reveal yourself, Jesus. God, let us be jealous for your honor, for your glory, that you would be glorified. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. God, I pray even through this time tonight, God, that you would have your way, that you would so reveal your glory, God. I pray that lives would be changed, God, that there'd be encounter and revelation of Jesus, that, God, we would not walk away from this time talking about a message, talking about worship, talking about the service, God, that we would leave this place with a greater awe of you. Jesus, that you would be glorified. Jesus, that you would be loved. So, Spirit of the living God, would you have your way? Would you move through this time? I thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. I really sense that one of the things the Holy Spirit wants to do in this place tonight is just bring us to a place of um, what the Bible calls first love, where sometimes maybe we've lost our first love. Jesus told that to one of the churches in Revelation. He says, but I have this against you. You've, you've lost your first love. You've lost that place, that deep place you're still doing the activity. You're still doing the service. You're still, it's not like you've, you know, left the Lord or you're falling into all kind of different sin. But he said you've lost your first love, that place of devotion, that place. And we could probably remember times in our past, maybe when we first met the Lord, maybe when we first <clears throat> encountered the Lord, when all we wanted to do is just be in his presence. All we wanted to do is just open up his word and just let his word speak to us. And uh, just, you know, it's like those, those times, God wants to bring us back to that place of, of devotion, of first love, where he is first. He is first. He is first. He deserves to be first. He tells us to love him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And he's calling us to that place of just first love, devotion to him. I believe he wants to do that even as we uh, go into the scriptures tonight. Um, you, can be, you can be seated. Just stay in that posture, though, of just worship and prayer and just 
I'm going to do my best to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and just follow his lead um, as, we, as we go through this evening. Mark chapter 14, <clears throat> verse 1. Mark chapter 14, it says, After two days it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. Speaking of of Jesus. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. So this is the religious leaders of the time. I mean, just think think about this picture that's being painted here. So this is obviously toward the end of Jesus's earthly life, his earthly ministry. Okay, and so it's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's the Passover. It's this incredible celebration of the, of the Jews. And here are these religious leaders, the chief priests. So these are the main, these are the, the, big, the big ones. These are the, the main leaders, the senior leaders, the chief, right? The chief priests. The scribes. The scribes were the ones who studied the law meticulously. And they, they, they learned, they, they read the prophecies. Imagine being the ones who studied your whole life the prophecies of the Messiah And here you are plotting his death. You spent your whole life studying the scriptures, studying the prophecies, studying to know. And and then here he is in your very midst, in the flesh. And you are in a meeting, a secret meeting, plotting the death of the Son of God. Plotting the death. And here's, I mean, mean, the truth is that religion loves the concept of God, but hates the presence of God. Religion loves the concept, the religious spirit, the religious mind, loves the concept of God, loves the theory about God, loves the doctrines, loves talking about theology. The, the scribes could argue theology all day. The scribes and the Pharisees could teach. They could, they could unfold. They memorized even scripture, as, as important as those things are. We, we should memorize scripture. We should be in the word. We should study those things out. But here is a great picture that, that religious, the empty religious system loves the concept of God. But when God himself is there, it gets rejected. God himself, the same thing happened when the Holy Spirit came. Who is also God, right? God, the Holy Spirit. And, and when he came at Pentecost, when he came in the book of Acts, they continued their rejection. They continued. And when Stephen preached and he, he shared the history of Israel, he said, you always, you always resist the Holy Spirit. You always, he said, just as your fathers did, so do you. Again, these were the religious. He wasn't talking to the, the heathen. He wasn't talking to the, quote, sinners. He was talking to the religious. The religious. And so here they are. They're, they're plotting his death. You know, not, not during the feast, though, right? You know, let's, 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 do it in a, let's, let's do it in the right way. Let's not cause an uproar. I mean, how nice of them, right? Just so, so kind, to be so thoughtful, not to cause any disruption like that. But that's, what the, that, that's the, the, the hypocrisy of the religious spirit that wears this mask of piety, wears this mask of holiness, but it's not real holiness. It's not heart holiness. It's, it's this spirit that actually, actually hates God while pretending to serve him. I mean, it's just crazy. But then we get to verse 3, and we see a a complete contrast. Verse 3, it says, Being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, he sat at the table. Jesus sat at the table. A A woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly 
oil. Very costly. Very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask, poured it on his head. She broke the flask and poured it on his head. There were some who were indignant among themselves, and they said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? Why was this fragrant oil wasted? In Matthew's version, it says, Why this waste? Why this waste? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. You have the poor with you always. And whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And that prophecy that Jesus made in verse 9 just got fulfilled right here again. Every time this story is told, every time this story is preached, 2,000 years later, this story is still being told. 2,000 years later, everywhere the gospel is preached, this is recorded in the word of God and it is being proclaimed what this woman has done. Now we know from other passages, especially in John's gospel, when you read this, this story from John's gospel, you'll see that the woman that, that is mentioned in this story is Mary of Bethany. Do you guys know who Mary of Bethany was? Right? So there was Mary, there was Martha, and there was Lazarus. There was three siblings. They were siblings. They were good friends with Jesus. And we have different accounts, different times where Jesus would go to their house. Jesus would spend time with them. Uh, whenever Lazarus died, right, they sent to him and said, Lord, you know, if you would have been here, right, they had this whole exchange that happened. And there was just something special about about Mary of Bethany. You can just see it in all these different examples. You can see that she had a, a true, um, really a revelation of Jesus, a real love for Jesus in a way that was unique. And so you can, you can, you can read even the story in Luke, I think it's chapter um, 10, at the end of chapter 10 of Mary and Martha, right? When, when, when Jesus was at the house of Mary and Martha, it said that Martha invited Jesus. So Martha opened the door. Martha invited Jesus in. And it said that, that Mary was sitting at his feet, focused all of her attention on him, listening to every word that he was saying, sitting at his feet, watching him, listening to him, zoned in on him. And then it actually uses this phrase that says that, but, but Martha was distracted with much serving. Martha was distracted with much serving. That's a very interesting statement to make. Because you don't normally think of serving as something that would be a bad thing. You don't normally think of serving as something that would be a distraction. I mean, we think, hey, we all got to serve, right? And believe me, we do, right? This is not, this whole story is not saying that you're not supposed to serve. But there was something unique that was happening where Jesus himself was in the house. And when Jesus is in the house, he needs to be the center of attention. He needs to be the focus. He needs to be the one where we're focusing on. And so Martha missed the moment. Martha missed the point. She was running around trying to get everything ready, trying to fix this, trying to get the food. And so even to the point where she got upset, she said, Lord, tell my sister to help me. 
Notice that, you know, everyone tried to bring Jesus into into their rivalries and their sibling, you know, know, the disciples are fighting over who's the greatest and the, you know, sibling things. And they always try to bring Jesus in. And and, and what, what did Jesus say? Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but one thing is needed. Mary has chosen that great part, that best part. It will not be taken from her. What did Mary have? She had the first love devotion to Jesus. She had a first love devotion to Jesus, where Jesus was number one. Jesus was the number one focus. The number one focus. And why is that so important? Because everything else comes out of that place of personal devotion and relationship with Jesus. All of the serving that were then, then that we get to do comes from that place. Mary, uh, Mary was sitting in that posture of waiting on him and focused on him, whereas Martha was running around so distracted. And here's the truth. If the devil can't get you distracted by sinning, he will try to get you distracted by serving. And that word for serving in the Greek language is actually the same exact word for ministering ministering. Ministry can be a substitute for relationship with God. Ministry can be a substitute. We can find our identity in our serving, whether it's ministering in a church, whether it's our workplace, whether it's our business, whether it's using our gifts, all the good things we're supposed to be doing, but they're never supposed to take the place of relationship. They're never supposed to take the place of intimacy with God. And here's the thing. The devil knows if he can cut off the place of intimacy, then he has cut off your lifeline to God. That is the lifeline. That is what sustains you. And over the course of time, when that place of intimacy gets cut off, then that, that place of abiding in him, right? The vine. He's the vine. We're the branches. And as we abide in him, the, that life is coming into us. If we get that cut off, we can maybe survive for a little while and we can make it, we can keep up, up a good appearance, but we can be shriveling on the inside. Our spiritual life could be dying on the inside, but yet we are deceived because we are serving so much and we're seeing, oh yeah, but, but God's doing this or but this person got ministered. Again, all good things. But Mary had the right order. Mary had the right priority. Mary had the right devotion. This is why I believe that Mary can, could do an extravagant act of worship that we read about. We're going to get back to this Mark 14 but this is why, because she had a posture, because she had a posture first of devotion, she was a successful worshiper and a successful intercessor. Have you ever noticed that in the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead, that Martha and Mary both prayed the same prayer, but Martha's prayer did not move Jesus, and Mary's prayer did move Jesus? You can read it in John chapter 11. I'm not going to go into it all, all in full detail. But just to touch on it, when Lazarus died, Jesus intentionally waited. He waited because he knew he was going to do a miracle of resurrection, raising him from the dead. And so he waited so that God's glory could be revealed this way. And so he shows up and he's been in the tomb for four days. And Martha you know, runs out to him and said, Lord, if you would have been here, If you would have been here, he would have been healed. But even now, I know that whatever you say, you know, the Father will do. I'm paraphrasing this, right? And it turns into like a theological discussion. 
Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha says, oh, I know that in, in the end of time, right, the dead will be raised. And Jesus brings it to the present. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Right? They had this, like, discussion, right? So then what happens? He calls for Mary. Mary comes out, and it says that she falls on her knees, and it says that she's weeping. She's crying. But you know what? She prays the same exact prayer. She says the same words. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And then it said that Jesus was greatly troubled, greatly moved in his spirit. And then it says Jesus wept. Not all prayers are created equal. Because prayers don't just depend on the words, they depend on the person who's praying the words. And when a person has a history with God like Mary had, when she comes and she begins to be moved and she's on her knees, she's weep. it actually moved Jesus to tears. And that's when he responded and went to, the, to stand in front of the tomb. He said, show me where he's at. Show me where, you, where you've laid him. You see, that type of praying that brings resurrection doesn't come out of a casual lifestyle with God. That type of praying and that, that brings God's kingdom, that brings his power, that brings his resurrection, doesn't come just because we just decide to say a nice prayer one day. No, it came out of Mary's devotion, a lifestyle of devotion to Jesus. That's where her intercession came from. That's where her worship came from. This is an act of worship in Mark 14. Let's... Look at it again a little bit further. So that, that's who this is. That's who this is talking about, is this woman named Mary, Mary of Bethany. Again, we're back in Mark 14. Look at verse 3 again, right? So it's at, they're at the house of Simon the leper. So she has a, an alabaster flask of very costly oil. So we know that this, is, this oil is costly. Um, I believe they say it's worth about a year's wages. So, if, so think about your... A salary for, think about a full-time salary today for a whole year. Maybe it's $100,000, $50,000, 100000 you know, somewhere in a range like that, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a big chunk of money. It's a, it's a big chunk of money. We don't know the background here. We don't know where she got it. I mean, it was common in that time, I think, to have, have that type of oil as a, um, to, to have as a payment for something, to have maybe for um, like a retirement fund or a dowry or just, right? But to be used, um, and the thing was, it was put in a jar that didn't just open, right? You couldn't just open it and use some of it. Once you broke it, that was it. There was no turning back once you broke the flask. It was all or nothing. That's, that's what this jar represented. It was all or nothing. So this represented something very important to her something very significant to her, something very costly, valuable. And so we don't know what was going on in her heart. We don't know what she was experiencing in this moment. We don't, I mean, she didn't know that Jesus was about to be crucified. We know because we know the story, but 
We just read a couple of verses before that they were plotting his death. So here they are in the midst of plotting the death of Jesus. And here he's having this banquet, this dinner. And he knows, Jesus knows, what's, he knows where he's headed. He knows what's happening in the coming days. But, but nobody else knows. And, and, but here's this, something moves this woman. Something moves her where she, she grabs this, this oil. She grabs this jar. I, I wonder how long she, she, she contemplated or wondered, you know, what can I, what can I give to Jesus? What can I offer to Jesus? What can, I, what can I give to him? How long she, she wrestled and debated and, and she, oh, my oil, my oil. Yeah, but that's for, you know, but that's for this. Or I'm, I'm saving it for that. But she, but she saw something in Jesus. And so she made the decision. And once she broke it, that was it. No turning back. She breaks, it says she broke the flask and poured it on his head. Poured it on his head. There were some who were indignant, angry, upset, irritated among themselves. And they said, why was this oil wasted? They even came up with a nice religious reason why Jesus shouldn't be worshipped this extravagantly. Now we know from John's version that Judas was one of the ringleaders of this idea because he was stealing the money from the, from the poor Uh, from the offerings. But it says they criticized her. They were angry, indignant. They criticized her sharply. Jesus comes right to her defense. Leave her alone. Don't trouble her. Why do you trouble her? She's done a good work for me. See, this represents a picture of true worship. We think worship means we sing a couple songs on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning. We think that's what worship is. That's not what the Bible calls worship. Now, worship can be expressed through song and praise. Absolutely, we love that. Just singing praise to God. But worship is actually when we give ourselves to to God in obedience, in love for Him. And then there's an outflow when we come together as a body of believers. Then there's an outflow when we've been living for God Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, when we've been living a lifestyle of devotion, we've been living our lives, giving ourselves to Jesus every day and following his voice and obeying his commands, then when we come together, yes, we can sing songs of praise, sing songs of worship, but, but that's, that's not all of what worship is, is just singing a couple, a couple songs, right? See, true worship is costly, True worship is costly. True prayer is costly. True devotion to God is, is costly. It, it, this, this act of devotion cost Mary a lot. Notice the response. See, here's the thing. Everything in this world goes against living a lifestyle of devotion to God like this. Our flesh goes against it. Our flesh goes against us giving ourselves completely to Jesus. First love. Our flesh doesn't mind if Jesus is somewhere in the corner. Our flesh doesn't mind if we let Jesus in the house, but just put him a little seat over there. But when we make Jesus everything, then our flesh starts to fight it. The flesh fights against it. The devil fights against it. Again, the devil doesn't mind if we 
just add Jesus to our life and think, oh, okay, we'll just go on with our life. The world goes against it. Everything in this world system, everything that this world presents us, everything this world stands for, its values, its ways, its mindsets, goes against giving ourselves completely to Jesus. But you know what else goes against it? The lukewarm church. What is the response of the lukewarm church to radical worship and devotion to Jesus? We just see it right here. Why this waste? Criticize. Angry. Sometimes it's not the world that we'll hear it from. Sometimes it's complacent Christians. Lukewarm Christians. Why? Because radical acts of devotion agitate a lukewarm person. Radical acts of consecration to Jesus disturb the complacent. Disturb them because it, it's, it's such a contrast. It brings conviction. It brings this disturbance of the status quo of what is considered normal. And, you know, why do you have to mess things up, Mary? Why can't you just let things be? I mean, is that really necessary? Do you really have to do that? Do you really have to take something a year's? I mean, come on, we could have used this for, for our ministry. We could have used this for, for giving even to the poor. We could have, we could have, right? Is it really necessary to go that far? You're just, you're, you're, you're gone, you've gone too far. Mary, you've gone too far. Why this waste? Are we living our lives in such a way that onlookers are just befuddled by what we're doing, by our choices, saying, why is this person doing this? What a, what a waste of time. Are we using our time in such a way that people look at it and say, what is this person? What, this, he's kind of radical. He's, she's kind of she's out there. Is our stand for holiness so aligned with God's heart and God's word that people think we've just gone over the edge? Because we don't listen to the music. We don't watch the same movies. We're not, we're not bound by the idol of entertainment. We're not addicted to the internet. We're not addicted to social media. We're just, you know, and people look at us like, what? What in the, what in the world? Who is this person? Do you know that that's what we're supposed to be like in this world? A peculiar people? Like we're not supposed to look like the world. We're not supposed to be like the world. We're supposed to live in such a way that demonstrates such a different reality that people look at us like, what? Who is this? Who, what does this person have? Where it's either like, they must be crazy or they must know something I don't know. Like Mary must be out of her mind or she must see something I don't see. Because radical acts of consecration, like we read here, come from revelation of who Jesus is. When you see Jesus clearly, what Mary did makes perfect sense. What would cause somebody to do something like this? Having a clear revelation of who Jesus is. It doesn't make sense to somebody that doesn't see him for who he is. What are they doing in heaven right now? What are they doing? What do the angels do when they see Jesus? What do the elders do 
When they see Jesus, what what are they doing right now? They're falling on their face before him. They're saying, holy, holy, holy. They're saying, worthy is the Lamb. They're taking their little crowns, their little They're just casting it at his feet because it means nothing in light of who he is. They're bowing before him right now. They see him fully as he is. And the only thing that makes sense to do is to fall on your face and worship him when you see him that way. But Mary saw him that way on earth. Mary saw him that way before he was exalted, before he was seated at the right hand. She got a revelation of who Jesus was, and that's where this act of devotion came from. It doesn't come out of us trying to work it up in our own strength. It doesn't come by us trying to be super religious. It doesn't come by us trying to do it in in the flesh. It has to come from revelation. If you want a deeper love for God, say, God, help me to love you. Because it says, we love him because he first loved us. When we get a glimpse, when we get a revelation of his love for us, of his heart for us, of what he's done for us, of his sacrifice for us, of the cross, of the blood, right? When we see those things, this type of worship, this type of lifestyle becomes a response. Comes a response out of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And so you say, God, show me. Give me a revelation. Give me a glimpse of who Jesus is. Give me a deeper revelation of how worthy he is. That he's worth my life. He's worth my obedience. He's worth, he loves me so much. Because he wants willing worshipers. He doesn't want people that feel forced. Mary did this willingly. She She wasn't doing this. She wasn't coerced to do this. She wasn't pressured to do this. She wasn't forced to do this. She, she, God wants willing worshipers, right? Who worship him in spirit and in truth. Who love to worship him. So many people want the things that Jesus can do for them without actually wanting Jesus himself. So many people want all the good things that Jesus can do. Jesus can heal me. Jesus can deliver me. Jesus can save me. Jesus can provide for me. Is it wrong to want God to be those things? No. God, He is the provider. He is the healer. But we miss it though. We, we get it out of order. When we, we, when we, all we want is that what God can do for us. Then it's like, thanks God. See you later. Oh, He provided again. Yep, thanks God. Like the ten lepers that received their healing and the nine just kept on going. And the one, the one got it. The one came back and fell on his knees to worship him, to thank him. See, ten got a healing, but only one got the healer. Ten got a healing, but only one got a revelation face to face of Jesus himself. God is calling a people. God wants a people like Mary. God wants a people that that want him for who he is. Not just what he can do for us. Not just because we want to see God work and do a miracle or because we have a need. God cares about our needs. He loves us. He's a good father. But he's looking for a people that actually just want God himself. That just have a love for God himself. 
that just want to see Jesus and want to know Jesus. And so this type of lifestyle, this type of devotion, it comes from a revelation of who Jesus is. And let me just encourage, just feel like a prompting just to encourage some in this room. Don't allow criticisms. Don't allow criticisms of the complacent, lower your standard of devotion. Don't allow the, the, the criticisms. It might come from people that love you and you love, it might come from family, it might come from coworkers, it might come from friends. You'll, you'll, you'll hear things like, oh, come on, you're, just, you're, you're being too much. Don't allow the criticisms of those that are in complacency and lukewarmness lower your standard of devotion, of holiness. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's your spouse. I don't care if it's a loved one. I don't care if it's a pastor. I don't care. I don't, I don't care who it is. Nobody takes the place of God in your life. Nobody takes the place of God in your life. He is first. And I'm not saying that you should be in, you know, fights and all that kind of stuff, but, but, but sometimes, even with people that are close to us and loved ones, we have to choose Jesus first. He's worth it. He's worthy. That's what, that's what it means that he's worthy. It means he's worth it. So this type of lifestyle, it comes out of a revelation of Jesus. I believe it comes out of something else too. I believe it comes out of a revelation of eternity. Of, eter- of the reality of eternity. The reality of eternal things. Because here we are, 2,000 years later, still talking about Mary's act of worship. It's going to ring into eternity. It's literally going to mean something in eternity. The criticisms mean nothing. Those who complain, those who are angry, mean nothing. No, no, no eternal worth, no eternal value. Her act of worship, her extravagant act of worship, which was actually, Jesus said, that she did this to prepare for his burial, which is incre- just amazing, has an eternal value. Everything in this life, just like I said earlier, that it goes against this pursuit of personal devotion, personal worship of God, are the world, the flesh, the devil, all fight against it, okay? Same thing with, with eternity. Same thing with eternal realities. Like this whole world is built to try to keep us locked into the present. This, her, this whole world is built. This whole world system is built to try to keep us locked into the here and the now. When the here and the now is a blip compared to eternity. But do we believe that? Like, do we actually live that way? You'll have to go against the grain to live that way. But when you live in light of eternity, Mary's devotion makes perfect sense. There are certain things that will only make sense in light of eternity. There are certain things. Think about, think about a martyr. Think about Stephen being a martyr. From an earthly perspective, we say, what a shame. Man, he, lost, he was just a young man. He was just, he was just up and coming in ministry. And he was just, you know, how could God let this happen? But from an eternal perspective, it makes a lot of sense. It's, his reward is great in heaven. 
It's, con- he's, it's considered an honor from an eternal perspective. Things that make no sense in the natural, in the worldly, in the here and now, in time. But when you look at it from an eternal perspective, it changes everything. We have to see things from an eternal perspective. If we're going to walk with God the way he wants us to, if we're going to follow his voice and follow his lead and obey him, it, it, we have to see things from an eternal perspective. And it, we have to be intentional about it. Because again, everything that we go through in life just point just day to day. And I'm not saying, see, I mean, there's, I'm not saying you can just let go of your responsibility. Oh, I'm just going to quit my job or I'm just going to not do this. Or I'm not, right? I mean, yes, we, have to, we, we still live in this, pre, where there's a tension, right? There's a divine tension here because... Because, yes, we have responsibilities in this world. We have responsibilities with our family. We have responsibilities with our work. I'm not saying you just, oh, forget all that and just, you know, go be a monk somewhere. I'm not, I'm not saying that. If God tells you to do that, do it, right? <laughs> Obedience is, 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 is what we're supposed to do. But, but you, you get what I'm saying, right? But, but we can still do everything we do with an eternal mindset. We can still live this life with, an etern- with eternity in mind. But it takes us being intentional because the natural pull is to keep going away from it, going away from it, going away from it, getting caught up in the, the here and the now. And, and, and what, what does James say about this, right? James um, chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 13 uh, and 14. It says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. What a good plan. Sounds great, right? But look what he says, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. And again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't use wisdom or that we shouldn't plan things. I mean, he's not just saying just, oh, just forget about the bills. Don't pay the bills because there's eternity, right? Don't go to work because, you know, there's eternity, you know, because Jesus is coming anytime. He's not saying that. He's not saying you can't use wisdom and make plans. And of course not, because he wants us to be good stewards. But he's saying, guys, he's saying this life, he says, what is your life? It's even a vapor that vanishes for a little time. Here's the, here's, here's the truth. Every single one of us has a date with eternity. We don't know when that will come, whether it's tomorrow, whether it's uh, 10 years from now. 20 years from now, 50 years from now. But let me tell you something. A hundred years from now, we're all going to be in eternity. I think that's pretty safe to say. Whether Jesus has come back or whether we've passed on into the next life, right? So let me ask you a question. Are you living right now for what will matter 100 years from now? Are you living today for what is actually going to matter then. Because eternity is a lot longer than your life. That's an understatement. We think this is all there is. We think this is just everything. We, you know, 70 years, 80 years, 90 years. Right? We're going to be living forever. Eternal. In this amount of time, whatever it is, whatever God gives us on this earth, it's actually just preparation for eternity. So how much of what we are doing is going to matter when we get to eternity? Or how much of the mindset that we carry is going to matter? When you go to your work, 
Because you might think, wow, man, my job is just kind of a menial task. But you know what? You could actually work as if unto the Lord. You could actually have a mindset that my work is worship to God. I'm going to work. I don't care if it's a menial task. I don't care if I'm just, you know, a bookkeeper from a construction worker, if I'm, you know, pouring into my, whatever it is, like so many, so many things. We could think, well, it's just like a, it just seems like it's pointless, right? But your mindset can actually turn it into worship. You could actually run your business as, a, as worship to God. And you could say it belongs to God. See, then, then you're doing it with eternity in mind. You can spend your time. Do you spend your time with eternity in mind? Think about time is probably the most valuable thing that we, we have. Time, relationships, those are like, those are the most valuable things that we have. You can't ever get time back. You can, you, you, you can always make more money, right? You can, you know, you can spend $10,000, but you can earn it back. Time you cannot take back. Time is so valuable. I don't think anybody is going to get to the end of their life and be on their deathbed and they're, and they're going to say, I sure wish I would have watched more TV. You know, I, just, I sure wish I would have spent more hours scrolling on Facebook. That's just so important. So many things I, I missed by not scrolling more. I wish I would have spent more time playing video games. Is anybody going to say that when they're on their deathbed? Right, we all know that. We all know the But why do we spend our time? Why do we waste so much time on entertainment? Entertainment's like one of the big idols in our nation. One of the big idols that everyone just thinks is normal in our culture. You got people that could tell you every football player on a certain sports team, they couldn't tell you the, you know, the gospel. They couldn't tell you the basics of the word. They haven't, haven't read the Bible. Haven't. Is that, should that, should that be, should, should that be the state of Christians? Right? More fascinated with a passing game? I mean, I was sitting in a restaurant the other day. I don't have a TV. I don't have a TV at my house. I mean, I have a screen that we can play DVDs on if we ever want to, but um, I was at a restaurant and I was, you know, ESPN was on there and it's, you know, I was at, I'm like, they're just, they analyze, I mean, they analyze every little thing, every, this person got traded to this team and this, I'm like, who cares? <laughs> like, do people, do we care about that? Like, we actually are sitting, like, we actually care who got drafted in the, like, am I allowed to say this, Peter? It's okay. Okay. <laughs> I asked Peter because I knew he'd be, he'd be okay. <laughs> like, am I saying you can't ever watch a sport? No, I'm not saying you can't, you know, ever watch a game or whatever. But like, like we are, a, people are just obsessed with this person and this statistic. And how many, I'm like, is that going to matter 100 years from now? Is that, is that going to mean anything? You see, but when you live that way, you are going against the grain. When you live that way, why that waste? Oh, come on. You're, just, you're, just, you're being over the top. You're just, you're just getting too radical now. Come on. It's okay. We can, just, 
we can be believers and we can just kind of just float through life and we can just have a nice, you know, Christian life and, right? Oh, come on, there's nothing wrong with just, there's nothing right about it either. What's right about it? What's right about being obsessed with entertainment or sports or what's right about it? Stop, stop thinking, well, there's nothing wrong with it. What are you not doing because you're doing that? What are you not praying? What are you not spending your time doing? What are you not interceding for? What if, what if every believer turned their TV off and prayed? Do you think we would have revival in our country? That might sound extreme, but it makes perfect sense when you think of eternity. See, how we spend our time, when you compare it to eternity, it makes perfect sense that I'd want to do whatever I can to get in the presence of God, to get in the secret place, to, to pray, to, 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 to be in his word, to obey his voice, to whatever it is, whatever he's calling me to do, then out of that place, out of that place of intimacy, out of that place of relationship, whatever he's leading me to do, but, but to get into that place like Mary did, to sit at his feet, to be with him. For the past several months, I've been just really drawn into a deeper season of um, personally and then also in our church body of just really pressing in to see a fresh move of God, to see a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit, to see revival. I know the word revival gets being used so many times, but, but it, it, it's, it's a reality, though. And you read church history, and you, you hear the stories of, of the awakenings of past generations. And, and it just, when you, when you get a glimpse of it, when you get a picture of that, it begins to grip your heart, and we begin to see, God, we need an awakening in this nation. Like, we need a great awakening in this country Revival is the only hope for this country. A, 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 a true awakening in this nation. This nation is not going to get saved from any political person, any, any leader in any position, right? That, that's not where our, our country needs Jesus. Our country needs an awakening. But let me tell you something. Revival doesn't come just through wishful thinking. Just because we think it would be nice. Oh, wouldn't it be nice if God just showed up? Revival came to Lazarus through the prayers of a woman who is fully devoted to Jesus. And as I've been studying these histories of, of revival and outpourings, one of the things I noticed is that when revival really comes, eternal things come to the forefront. Eternal things, like we're talking about, the reality of eternity becomes front and center because when God shows up, that's what revi revival is when God shows up. Well, you know, what do you mean? I thought God was here. Yeah, God's everywhere, but sometimes God shows up. There's a difference. You can read it in the Bible. You know, when God came down on the mountain in Mount Sinai, God showed up. The, it shook. The people saw, they, were, they fell on their face, they were afraid, right? When, when, when the day of Pentecost came, God showed up. But when the wind came through the building and the tongues of fire came on their head, I mean, sorry, you couldn't catch that on the live stream. You had to be there. You couldn't catch that on the recording. 
God showed up. That, when revival comes, it's the heavens are opened up. The Holy Spirit comes in such tangible ways that people encounter the reality of God. Conviction of sin just comes powerfully. People are confessing their sins. They're getting right with God. They're repenting in deeper ways. Salvations are coming. Hardened sinners, are, their hearts are melting. Cities are turning to God. Bars are being shut down. These are things that happen in historical revivals. People are being swept into the kingdom of God. People are having visions of heaven and of hell and of eternity. It's, 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 because it's right to the forefront. Because we're going to get to that point and, um, at, at some point anyways. But re- when, when revival comes, it comes now. It comes in our lifetime. It's like we get to experience a glimpse of eternity before we get to eternity. And so it draws us into eternal things. This is what Lancaster needs. Lancaster needs the heavens to open. Lancaster needs the Holy Spirit to be poured out. Lancaster needs a way. That's what this nation needs. That's what, that's what this nation desperately needs. And I notice that every historical revival has a story, has a background. We often just hear about the, the main fe- uh, featured you know, ministers. We hear about the preachers. We hear about... Charles Finney, right? We hear about Jonathan Edwards. We hear about um, John Wesley, William Seymour, and the Azusa Street Revival. We often we hear about that, but we don't understand. It wasn't just uh, that person. When you dig into it a little bit deeper, you hear about the story of what led up to some of these massive outpourings. Like, I, I studied the Azusa Street Revival. You guys know about the Azusa Street Revival in 1906? In California. And I learned about a guy named Frank Bartleman, who was an intercessor and a preacher, but he was one of the main, there were several, but he was one of the main intercessors behind the Azusa Street Revival. And he got gripped. He got gripped with such a desire for eternity, such a desire for eternal things. See, his three year old daughter passed away right before he gave this, got into this deeper place of consecration to God, his three-year-old daughter passed away. See, when, when there's a death, it actually brings us face-to-face with eternity. I remember when my brother-in-law tragically died in a car accident a few years ago, three, four years ago, and it was like being hit in the face, like just unexpected. Nobody, just all of a sudden, you get a phone call one, in the morning and just... And I remember when that happened, just the reality of eternity. It's like you're hit with the reality of how short this life is. It is a vapor. And here this guy is, and his three-year-old daughter dies. I can't even imagine what that would be like. But in the midst of his grief, see, when we go through stuff like that, we can either go real one direction or the other. It can cause us to get so bitter or angry upset, or it can actually drive us to the things of God and to a deeper place of brokenness and deeper relationship. And he, he went that way. He went and he just devoted his life to God in a fresh way. And he began to devote his life to God and he began to be burdened with, with revival, with a cry for the Holy Spirit. He heard about the story of the Welsh revival that was happening in 1904. And, he's, and that, that testimony stirred his heart to the point that he got into agonizing intercession. 
You can read, you can read this, the books about, you can read his story about this. And he would, he would intercede day and night. He would, people would think he was crazy. People would think, what are you doing? What, what are, you, are you out of your mind? Are you, he would fast. He would pray. He would intercede. He would be gripped by the, the Holy Spirit and travail and intercession. He'd be up throughout the night. This went on for months and months. It was like a year and a half. Think about this. This burden of intercession came upon him. And he was in this place of travailing prayer and intercessory prayer. And for months and months before the Azusa Street Revival broke out. Do you know that in this room we are literally a product of that revival? Any spirit-filled church, ministry, denomination, like that's having a ripple effect 115 or so, whatever, years later. But it didn't come just because a guy thought, eh, it'd be nice if we had revival. Without Mary's devotion. Without Mary's type consecration. Without Mary's type, I'm going to go all in. I'm going to, I'm going to give everything. I hope, one, I hope one person in this room is going to get gripped. I hope just one, just one. I mean, I hope it's more, but if it's just one, just one person in this room will get gripped by God in this way, be drawn into a deeper place. What, what, what could happen? What could happen in this church? What could happen in Lancaster if, if people start to get gripped by the same spirit of prayer that was upon these intercessors, upon you know, Daniel Nash, an intercessor for Charles Finney. We hear about Charles Finney. He was the preacher, but Daniel Nash would go into these places and fast and pray and travail for days and days at the places Charles Finney was going to preach. I mean, th- this always worked together this way. And it was people that in the natural, you'd look at them and you'd say, why are you wasting your time like this? Why are you, giving your, why are you wasting your life like this? But eternity has a different story. A couple months ago, I was preaching in New York. <clears throat> I'll kind of begin to probably start to wind this down. We'll see. You guys done all right? I believe, I believe God wants to pour out his spirit tonight in intercession, just in a deeper place of prayer. I believe people are gonna, in the room are going to get gripped by a deeper place of, of prayer and intercession. I was in New York sometime uh, toward the end of July. I was doing a weekend um, of meetings at a, at a church. It was a revival weekend. Myself and a team from our church, I think it was five or six of us. We were there, and um, opening night was Friday night. I, I did a deliverance night. I preached on repentance. I preached on the importance of repentance and deliverance. And we had a, we had a ministry time, and it was it was it was a good night. People were delivered from things, but definitely felt like we were plowing through some stuff and just yeah, just really pushing and pushing through. And then the next night, there was a marked difference. It was like there was just uh, more of an openness, and the Holy Spirit was just more freely moving and. Um, I talked about, you know, holiness and just how deliverance should lead us to holiness and the deeper place of relationship with God. And, and then we went into ministry and saw God, be, you know, healing people in their hearts and just more, more deliverance. And it was like a marked difference between that night and the next night. And then Sunday morning, I, I preached on open heavens and, and revival. And I started talking about just a few of the things I was just saying about um, just, you know, awakening and just revival and, you know, um, this church happened to be an Assembly of God church, and so I was talking about how yeah, the Assemblies of God you know, were birthed out of 
this move of, of Azusa Street. And, you know, unfortunately, in many places, a lot of the Pentecostal denominations, they've lost, they've lost that fire. They've lost that fire that, that they were birthed out of. And, and I was just talking about how, for some reason, God's opening up, you know, the assemblies of God to me. I'm getting invited to these different assembly of God churches in these places. And, you know, here I am. I don't come from a Pentecostal background. I mean, I, come from a, I came from a Bible church that didn't believe in tongues or the gifts of the Spirit or any of that stuff. And so when I came into the things of the Holy Spirit, when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, I was like, why, why did nobody tell me this? How come, how come I never heard about this? I felt like I'd been robbed. I felt like I'd been robbed. I felt like, but then what happens is, and then it, when I went into some of the spirit-filled churches, I'm like, don't you know what you're missing? Don't you know what you have? Like, don't you know your heritage? Don't you know what you were birthed out of? Don't you know? Because, because so many have lost it. So many have, have just set it aside. They've pushed the Holy Spirit to the side. They've gone seeker-sensitive. They said, well, I don't want to do those things. That might offend somebody. And yeah, I tell you, it offends the Holy Spirit is what, what happens when you do that. You quench him. You grieve him. Um, but, but, so, but so many have just left that heritage. And they say, yeah, you know, we, we still believe in that, but we're not going you know, to do altar calls. We're not going to really have strong messages. You know, we're not going to do deliverance, you know, because... Well, I guess you don't want to get someone delivered from a demon. I don't know what, why not, but, but lost the heritage. And I started talking about this. I started talking about the Azusa Street Revival. And I started talking about the intercession of Frank Bartleman. And before I could finish my message, before I could finish it, the Holy Spirit fell on a woman in the back of the room and she just began to wail. She just began to break out into weeping and break out into wail, just wailing. And I, and I just... I. I stopped preaching. I said, we're, just, we're going to begin praying. We're just going to begin praying. And all of a sudden, we just began to pray. And the Holy Spirit started falling in the room. And people started getting on their faces. People started groaning. People started travailing. People started weeping. And no music. No music on. No, just, just, I felt like I was just an observer. I just felt like I, I was almost like time stood still. And I'm just watching this and I'm trying to lead as best as I can. Every once in a while I'll pray out and the Holy Spirit just started moving and a fire began to be birthed in that church. And for, for, for I don't know how long it went, just people be, ended up coming to the altar. People got on their faces. I mean, people were on, on the floor. Just there was travail coming out. God is doing this. God is stirring this up. God is pouring out his spirit of prayer because he wants us, he wants, because he wants to pour his spirit again. Well, that's, that's, that's what we need. God's looking for people like Mary that say yes. That's, that say yes. And once you say yes, you can't take it back. Once you break the flask, <clears throat> once you break the flask, the flask is broken. And the fragrance, though, fills the house. You know, everyone benefited from that. But only Mary was the one that got to be the one who gave that fragrant offering. Even though everyone else in the room felt it and experienced it. But she was the one that got the credit for the extravagant worship. Let's begin to pray. I just want us to begin to pray. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit just to, to come and begin to lead us in prayer and in intercession. I don't want us to try to work anything up. We can't make things happen, but I want to yield to the Holy Spirit, however he wants to move tonight. God, I ask right now, I ask for the Holy Spirit to fall upon every person in this room. 
I ask, Father, in the name of Jesus, for the Spirit of God to move in the hearts of people. God, to draw us back to the place of first love, God. To draw us back to that place, God. God, where we're not distracted, Lord. God, I ask for the Holy Spirit to fall in this place. Father, in deeper intercession, God, I even pray, Lord, for the spirit of prayer to move upon this place, God, the intercession of the Holy Spirit to begin to grip the hearts in this room. Father, I pray even that you would just touch one, God, even if it's just one, Father, even if it's two, Lord, if it's three, God, that you would just touch those ones, God, Lord, that you'd grip the hearts of people, God, that they would begin to cry out to you, God, to see your glory, God, to see your spirit poured out, Father, in this church, God, and in this region, Father, would you grip our hearts, Lord? Just begin to pray right now. I just want to ask you to begin to pray. Let's turn this into a prayer meeting. We're going to to have a prayer meeting here. So don't be shy. You can pray out loud. You can pray in tongues. You can pray in English. Just begin to pray. Holy Spirit, lead us in prayer. Lead us in prayer. Lead us in intercession. God, I ask you to release even just the tears of intercession, Lord. The tears of hunger for you, God, of, of worship of you, God, of devotion to you. Give us a revelation of who Jesus is, that we would see the beauty of Jesus, the worth of Jesus. God, help me to see what Mary saw, God. Help me to see, God. Help me to see what Mary saw, God. God, that it would be a natural response to give myself completely God, let radical acts of worship begin to come, Lord, from our lives. Not just from church services, God, but from our lives, God. Lives devoted to you in response to your love for us, God. Holy Spirit, would you do the work? Do the work. Move in this place. Move in this place, God. Make us hungry. God, give me a desperation. Give me a hunger for you, God. God, we just repent of complacency. Just begin to repent of anywhere you need to repent right now. <clears throat> repent if there's, if there's any things that you've placed before God in your life. If there's idols you've allowed to be in your life. If you've allowed complacency or lukewarmness. I believe God wants us to, just to go into repentance for anything that we've allowed to take the, His place in our lives. God, I just pray, Lord, right now, God, would you move with conviction of your spirit, God. God, I repent for any indifference, Lord. Any indifference, God, to the things of eternity, God. Any indifference, God, to lost souls, God. Any indifference, God, to the things, Lord, that burden your heart, God. God, I ask that you would give me your burdens. Begin to ask for his burdens. Begin to ask for his prayer burdens. Begin to ask for his heart. His heart for the church. His heart for the nation. His heart for the lost. Begin to ask for his heart. God, would you give me your heart? God, would you give me your heart, God? I, I want to pray out of that place, God, of having your heart, God. I want to intercede from that place, God, of having your heart and carrying your burdens, God. God, I want to cry your tears, even as Jesus wept, God, as Jesus wept, God. Lord, that you would allow me to experience your heart and your passion, your burden.
in this place. I just feel like I'm supposed to open up the altar. If anyone just feels like they're supposed to, um, just sensing a tug from the Holy Spirit or just feel like you need to respond in some way, um, you can just begin to come and just, you can kneel in your chair. You can come to this altar and kneel. But if you're just sensing the Holy Spirit just speaking to you or, or drawing you or calling you to a deeper place of um, worship, devotion, love uh, for the Lord, and you just feel like you need to just respond in some way, I just want to Open up the altar. The altar, it's a place of sacrifice. Fire falls on the sacrifice. Fire falls on the altar. So I just want to open that up for anyone that just feels that need to say, God, I'm just bringing myself. I'm bringing myself. I'm bringing myself. A living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Holy Spirit, would you fall upon those in this room, God, that just you're birthing a deeper intercessory burden upon? God, let your Holy Spirit fall upon those in this room, God, that you are birthing a deeper intercessory burden upon, God, a burden of intercession. Would you fall upon those ones right now, God, in the name of Jesus, would you mark them, God, with your presence, Would you begin to pray your prayers through their lives, God? Would you begin to pray the intercession, Lord, of the Holy Spirit would begin to flow through them? God, that you would begin to place situations and people and lost loved ones on their heart, lost friends, lost coworkers, just begin to put that burden on their hearts, God, to begin to pray and intercede not even in their own strength, God, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, God, that they would pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, God, and that they would see you begin to move and shift things. The name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Let's begin to intercede right now. Let's begin to intercede for the lost. 
Let's begin to pray. Let's begin to pray for awakening. Let's begin to pray for a revival. Let's begin to pray for the lost right now. Father, I pray, God, over Lancaster County, God. Father, so many people, God. God, that don't know you, Father. So many people, God. God, that from an eternal perspective, God, are living their lives, God, on their way, God, to an eternity, God, of hell, God. They're on their way, God, to an eternity without you. God, let us not be indifferent, God. Let us cry out to you, Father. God, I cry out to you for mercy, God, over Lancaster. God, I cry out to you for mercy, God, over this nation. God, I cry out to you, God, that you would move in the hearts, God, of those that don't know you, God, that you would bring conviction by your Spirit, God, that you would bring, God, you would draw, Lord, you would convict, God, you would bring salvation, God. Thank you, Father. Begin to pray for, begin to pray for the lost. God might put specific people on your heart or mind. Begin to pray for them. You might pray more in general, but just begin to pray. Thank you, Father. God, I pray in this room for a fresh baptism of your Holy Spirit and fire. And God, I pray that this baptism of fire, God, would bring just a deliverance, God, from self. God, a deliverance from self, God. A deliverance from self, God, where self is reigning, Lord, where we are still being led by the flesh, God. Would you come with a baptism of fire, God, that burns up, Lord, those things, Lord, that are driving our life, God, that are keeping us bound, Lord, in the things of this world, God. Would you come, Lord, with a baptism of fire right now in the name of Jesus upon this people, God. Let the fire of the Holy Spirit come, Lord, and burn up everything, Lord, that is in disagreement with you. Burn up, God, that which is of the flesh. Burn up, Lord, that which is still driving us, our self-will, God, that we would yield our will to you completely, God. Let that baptism of your spirit and fire, God, fall right now. Fall afresh right now, God. God, as we give ourselves on the altar, let your fire fall, God. Let your fire fall with a fresh baptism right now. In the name of Jesus, thank you, Father. God, I pray for that baptism of fire to bring us back to first love, God. Bring us back to first love, God. First love, devotion to you, God. First love, God, obedience to you, God. First love of worship to you, God. You're worthy of our lives, God. You're worthy, God, that we would love you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, that maybe people would look at us and they'd say, why this waste? Why this waste? But God, we want our lives to be wasted on Jesus, God. We want our lives to be wasted on you, Jesus. Wasted on you, Jesus. Jesus, you're worthy. You're worthy, Jesus. You're worthy, Jesus. You're worthy, God, of our lives given to you. You're worthy, Jesus, of our obedience, of our sacrifice. It's because of your love, God. Thank you, God. God, release that prayer burden, God, that wakes us up in the night, God. Release that prayer burden, God. Lord, that causes us to groan and intercede, Lord. Release it, Father. Release it, Father. Release it, Father. God, we cry out to you, God, for awakening in this nation, Lord. We cry out to you, God, for awakening in your people.
God, I pray for those at this altar right now, God. I pray right now that the fire of your spirit would fall upon this altar, God, upon those that are up here at this altar, God. God, that the fire of your love would fill their hearts, God. God, a fire, Lord, of, of your grace, Lord, of, of a deeper work of your spirit, God, in their hearts, God. Lord, a fire of intercession, Lord, would burn, Lord, would burn, would burn in them, would burn through them, God, would come upon them in a fresh way, God. Let them encounter you, Jesus, in a deeper way. Let them see you, Jesus, in a deeper way. Let them know you more. God, I pray that you'd make us like Mary, God. Make us like Mary, Father. Make us like Mary, God, sitting at your feet, Lord. And that our prayers would actually move your heart, God. That our prayers would actually move your heart, God. Because of that place of worship and devotion, Lord. Our prayers would move your heart, God. Would cause you to act, move to action, Father. Let us not just say prayers, God. Let us live a life of devotion that our prayers would come from. Thank you, Father. With fresh fire, God, with fresh fire, God, the Spirit of God, Lord, flowing through her, God. Thank you for her prayers, God, that flow, Lord, with power, with love, God. Lord, let her prayers, God, break through the heavens, God. Let her worship to you, God. Be a sweet fragrance, God. Let her life, God, every day, just release a sweet aroma, a sweet sacrifice, God, of her life given to you. I bless, Lord, God. God, I ask you to open the heavens, God. I ask you to rend the heavens and come down, God. God, I ask you to rend the heavens and come down. God, we don't just want, Lord, what we were used to. We don't just want what we've been living in, God. I ask, God, that you rend the heavens and come down, God. God, that you would move, God. We don't just want to read these stories, God. We don't just want to learn about these past movements of your spirit. God, I ask for a move of your spirit for this generation, God. God, I cry out to you for a move of your spirit, God, for this generation. God, that our young people, God, would encounter you in your reality, God. God, we cry out to you for our children, God. We cry out to you, God, for this next generation, God. We cry out to you, Father. God, their only hope is you, God. Their only hope, God, is a move of your spirit, Father, in this land, God. We cry out to you, God, that you run the heavens, God, that you would come down in this place, Father. We cry out to you, God, for the young people, Lord. We cry out to you, Father, that they would know you, God, that you would grip their hearts at a young age, Father. In the name of Jesus, Father, I ask, Lord, for a move of your spirit, God, that sweeps through, Lord, high schools, Lord. It sweeps through middle schools, Father. It sweeps through homes, Father. It draws people to you, Jesus. God, I cry out to you, God, for conviction of sin, Lord, to fall in this land, God. I cry out to you, God, that you would shut down, Lord, the works of the enemy. God, that you would shut down perversion, God. That you would shut down witchcraft, God. You would shut down, Lord, the works of the enemy, God. You would tear down the idols of this land, Father. That you would do it by your spirit, Father. In Jesus' name, we cry out to you, God. God, I ask you to restore the power of the gospel, Lord, to transform lives, God, to call people out of addiction, Lord, to call people out of bondage, Lord, to call people out of perversion, Lord. 
Would you restore, God, the power of the gospel, Lord, to set captives free in the name of Jesus? This is a night of consecration, a setting apart. You are invited into this opportunity. The Lord is inviting you into a new place of consecration to him. The words that were spoken tonight were the words straight from the Father's heart to each and every one of us. Our pastor has ordained a time of prayer in our home groups and in our church. This is confirmation, the heart of the Father, for this body as well. So, Father, we just thank you for your Holy Spirit here tonight. We're grateful that you love us so much that you're not willing for us to stay the same, complacent, lukewarm, passive, whatever it may be. We want to be moved out of that place by your spirit in a place of consecration and intentional devotion to our first love. That moment when we were first introduced to you. Where, where you became our all in all, where you were our everything, where you delivered us from sickness and disease and addictions and anything else. And we had thanked you a million times over. But Father, bring us to that first place where you were everything. Let the distractions of life fall away like water off a duck's back. Let them just not be important anymore. Lord, we're asking you to do that as we draw near to you, as we press into your spirit, as we say yes to this new season of prayer, this new move of the Holy Spirit, where we consecrate our time and our heart to the things of our Father that our Father's purposes and plans are the most important thing to our lives right now. We know, Father, we cannot give you. When we spend time with you and set time aside, you redeem the time. You go behind our worshiping back and take care of all our needs. We know that to be true. But fine-tune this in our lives day by day. Let us value the today.
Let us put such value on today. Today is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice in it. We shall intentionally carve out the time for our first love before anything else. Father, strengthen us in our inner man's. Give us the desires of our heart, which is really for you. We wouldn't be here tonight on a Saturday night if it wasn't. You really are the most important person to us. Move us into that place where time is more valuable with you than with anyone or anything. Father, that is a work of the Holy Spirit, but we're inviting you to do that in each and every one of us. So, Father, again, thank you so much for the confirmation of prayer in this season that you're bringing us into. Lord, let us value it so much that a day goes by that we, not a day goes by that we don't spend intentional, I sense in the spirit, gobs of time with you. Intentional time. So, Father, we thank you. Lord, as we just give this time of worship now to you, the worship team, come on up. As we set our heart toward you in worship, which this has all been worship tonight, but Father, we sing to you. We sing our love and our worship and our devotion and our singleness of heart to you tonight. We thank you for this season that you're bringing us into, and we say yes and amen to it. Yes and amen. Jesus, you're the lover of our heart. Father, you are our final destiny, and we thank you that we are quickly coming to the fruition of things. Let us value eternity today. Amen. I invite you to stand with us. Good stuff. Just hang out here. Worthy is your day. I believe in you. I believe in you. 
church, the Christians, overcame by the word of their testimony, the blood of the Lamb, and loving not their life to the death. They had eternity in their heart. They didn't have the world in their heart. They would walk into the Colosseums with animals and lay themselves on poles to be torched. Their love was not here in the world. They had already passed over into eternity. They were living out eternity in their heart. Family, this season of prayer that we're coming into will bring a death to many things. Addictions, depression, demonic activity in your life, lack and fear, all the things of the old man, all the things of the oppression of the enemy. This kind of prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit will activate the life of God in you and around you in such a way that things will just fall off. The power of God will operate in your life. You'll be amazed at the, what the Father wants to do in you and through you. But it is costly. It's very costly. And the Father is asking you, will you pay the price? Will you value the price? Will you love not your life to the death? But spend that time in prayer. In this season, he's bringing us in. Father, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for each and every one of your kids here tonight. Father, I ask that you burn such a hole in their heart that this night will be a memory that they will not be able to forget that when they leave this place, they leave changed. Changed by the word, changed by the power of the Holy Spirit that will never be the same, that we carry with us that burden of prayer. And Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus, we all ask you to do that very thing in each one of us, that your home, your place will be called a house of prayer that we will individually be called the temples of prayer. So, Father, thank you for that deposit tonight. Thank you for the good word of God. Thank you that you love us more so much that you're not willing for us to stay the same, but to be changed and increase more and more into the image of your son, Jesus. And we say yes and amen to that, Father. We thank you so much for who you are in our lives. We give you all the praise and all the glory. You're so worthy of it. Hallelujah. Mm. You're worthy, God. Just tell them tonight, you're worthy, Lord. You're so worthy, God. <laughs> oh, don't get nervous. I'm not going to keep going. We're good. Hallelujah. Appreciate you all so much just ask you to go tonight loving one another because that's one way we love God is by loving one another encourage Jake here excellent message as he's leaving give him a big hug and tell him thanks have a great week see you next week amen
Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Church of the Word International here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. (laughs) Praise the Lord. So glad to see each and every one of you here tonight for our time of worship together. Psalms 30, the timing of this is thought to be around King David's uh, time when he took the census of Israel. And because of that, a plague broke out and 70,000 men died and he became deathly ill as well. And he wrote this psalm of how he sought the Lord in forgiveness and how God gave him the victory. So we think about the storms in our own life, and when they come, we turn to the Lord immediately. And he, this whole psalm tells how God responds back to us. And as long as we keep our life centered around Jesus, we can share in David's victory from suffering, from tragedy, into joy. So let's see what he says. I will exalt you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you and you healed me. Praise God. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave and you have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Now in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by your favor, I have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face and I was troubled. I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made my supplication. What profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? I will declare your truth. Hear me, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. This was his petition to the Lord. Verse 11. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. To the end, this, that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. That's what King David wanted to do. He wanted to live, to sing praises to him, to give him thanks for all that he was and all that he had done. So tonight is our opportunity as a family, the family of God, to come together, to sing him praises, to put off everything else, every distraction, And just get in that position of praise and thanksgiving because we have so much to be thankful for. Amen. So let's stand together as family tonight. And let's turn our eyes and our heart upward to the Lord. I will go about your altar, O Lord, that
that I may proclaim with a voice of thanksgiving and tell of all your wondrous works. Mm. Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Father, we are just so grateful for this time together tonight. We don't take it for granted. Now, one second, we thank you that we are in the habitation of your glory tonight. And Jesus, you're the head of the church. You're the head of this body. And we just invite you and celebrate you and ask you to move as you will. Touch the hearts of your people who have come to adore you, to celebrate you and love you. Father, we just give you all the praise and glory for what you're going to do this evening. And we give you all permission and full reign to move as you will. Lord, we just thank you. We, in, in advance, we thank you, thank you, thank you for your presence, your glory, the power of your word, the power and manifestation of the gospel. We thank you in advance, Father, and give you all the glory and praise. Well, one way we love God in this house, amen, is by loving one another. So turn to your neighbor and make sure you hug somebody and tell them how thankful that you're here tonight. Amen. We're expecting great things. Glory to God. He's faithful. He's a faithful God. Hallelujah. Amen. Great worship. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We would like to welcome you this evening to Church of the Word International. Is this anybody's first time, very first time with us? If you could just raise your hand. We'd like to welcome you. We see a couple people back here and up front. Welcome. We're so glad you're here with us tonight. Appreciate you coming. So um, I would like to call up Mr. Troy, and he's going to share a word about tithing and giving. And while he's coming, ushers, um, you can get ready to pass out envelopes. If anybody needs an envelope for your cash giving, if you just raise your hand, our ushers will bring that to you. Well, thank you so, thank you so much. You took away my first line. I always forget to ask about the envelopes, and I was going to do that first. She did it already, so thank you. <laughs> But I didn't see any hands up. So if you, if you didn't raise, there you go. There's a hand. So make sure you get the envelopes out to the people with the hands up, and we'll get started. So the last time I was up here and was talking about tithing and giving, I said it was a commandment. And we talked about how God gave a commandment that we would give, give of what he has blessed us with. What I'd like to talk to you about tonight is how much of a privilege it is to give. Because it truly is a privilege. And I'd like to do that by starting in First Chronicles chapter 29, verses 10 through 14. So if you're looking at the word, again, it's First Chronicles chapter 29, verses 10 to 14. This is a prayer, a prayer that David gave over his assembly. And it goes like this. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom. O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. You'll find even though I'm a teacher, sometimes I don't read very well, so excuse me. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. 
In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Then he goes on and says, but who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own we have we given you. In essence, why is it that you would look at us and think that we are eligible, are honored, are privileged enough to be able to give something back to you? So in David's prayer, he's giving praise to God, first of all, and telling God just who he sees he is in his life. He says, Lord, it is our privilege to give to you. And who am I? And who are we? Who are we to be able to give to God? He is saying, Lord, it all belongs to you. It all comes from you. When we give, we are only giving back to you. We are only giving what you gave to us through the many blessings that you've bestowed upon us. We are only giving what belongs to you still to this day. David understands and he teaches that giving is a marvelous privilege and does not go unnoticed by our God. It absolutely does not. To God, who has freely given us everything, he's given us life and breath and forgiveness and heaven and eternity and his own son, Jesus. We all are privileged to gladly, with gratitude, give back to him. Though tonight you have the honor of giving your tithes and offerings, each and every day you have the honor of also giving in a different way. You give your time your talents, your treasures, and your light and gentle touch to those in need. By doing this and by giving your tithes and offerings, you are stepping out in faith and putting your trust in God to do what he says by multiplying the blessings, the blessings that he has promised you. Let's look at Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. It says, give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For with the standard of measurement you use, it will be measured to you in return. Unfortunately, a lot of Christian Americans today don't get this. They don't believe what the word says. Too many of them have make up excuses and say, I'm sorry, but I just can't give. I don't have enough. I have too many needs in my life. I just don't have enough. As someone who's had an opportunity, myself that is, to travel to quite a lot of countries, some of which are developing countries, I know what need is. I have seen people's needs. Americans, for the most part, in a general sense, don't really know what a need is. They have a lot of wants, but we don't have great deals of needs. So what I'd like to do is tell you a story of how people with need Real need, still give. When I was in Ghana several times, I had numbers of people who would come to us for, for their needs, for physical needs, for prayer, or for medical care, or they would come to us because they saw that we had things that we could hand out to them, clothing and food and other things like that. They had needs, and we provided what we could to help them with their needs. The next day, many of those same people would come to us. These are people who can't put food on the table, who can't clothe their children, and who certainly have a hard time 
putting a roof over their head. But they're coming to us with their heads laden or their arms full of pineapples, watermelons, bananas, and so many other fruits and vegetables. People with great need who should be using those things, at least that's what we would think, for their families and for the needs that they already have. But they already get what the word says. They get it. If I give, I know that I'm going to be blessed. And I know that's not why we give. We don't give so that we get. But we give and we know that our God is so great, is so mighty, and has so much that he can't help but give back to us. Bless us. So what I'm asking you to do this evening is to take a second to thank God for the privilege that you and I all have to give because it really and truly is a privilege. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this evening and we thank you, Lord, for the privilege that you have given us. We thank you for the blessings that you've provided us with. We thank you for providing us with our food and our clothing and our houses and our cars and this glorious church and, and the pastor this evening and all the things that you've blessed us with. Lord, we love you. We thank you and we are blessed by you and we are privileged to give back to you this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, the ushers may pass the baskets, and while they are passing passing the baskets, um, we have a couple of important announcements tonight. Uh, There is still time to sign up for a home group if you would like. All of the home groups should be up and running this week, so I know two of them started last week, but um, all of them, the Tuesday night in East Earl at Pastor Sid's and the Thursday night at our house will be starting their first uh, one this coming week. Um, If you help prepare food for the after uh, service snack time. We would ask that you kindly, immediately following the service, go to the kitchen area for a very brief meeting. So if you're one of those people that helps on any of the weeks, please head down to the kitchen right after the service. Also, there are ladies and men's breakfasts coming up, so please sign up in the back. It's very important that you sign up so we know how much food to prepare. We hope to see you there. Invite your friends, family, Also, another important announcement to pay attention to, this affects the schedule. On October 1st, it is the very first Saturday service in October, we are going to be meeting over across the street, over here at the Landisville Campground meeting area, regular time, 6 o'clock p.m. Children are going to remain in the service for that particular Week And if you're a children's ministry leader for any, any time in October, please stay tuned to your children's ministry channels for information on how we're going to handle that. It is, there are five Saturdays in October, so please um, look to your coordinator for further instructions on how we're going to handle that. But we will have nursery still available in this building for October 1st, but all the other children's classes will join us over in the campground. So please put that in your phones, your calendars, and take note that we won't be in here on October 1st. Also, there is an upcoming CPR medical trauma training, Saturday, October 29th, Sunday, October 30th, and possibly Monday the 31st. There is registration that is needed for this, and there are no sign-ups. This would be a contact Miss Debbie 
if you are interested in going, her number is in there um, because there are no signups and it is essential that you must sign up to attend and there's only a few spots left. So please see her, call her if you're interested in that. Also, if you want to sign up for home group, Deb Miss Debbie is the person to, to talk to about signing up for any of those.